Hey everybody, Brad Peterson here with our first episode of the SMH Lab podcast featuring my best friend in the world, Josh Fletcher, the head track and field coach at Trine University. Josh and I go way back about 20 years. I was best man at his wedding about 14 years ago, I believe. And um, just now we live in the same town, which is kind of scary, but uh, it was a good conversation about faith and about having to go through some hardships, especially this track season where that was canceled literally the day before the national championships. Josh talks about that and keeping things in perspective. So hope you enjoy this first episode with Josh Fletcher. You and I, we go back uh, much longer than your wife. I think we're about to celebrate our 20-year anniversary, so your wife can be jealous of our relationship. I think that's, I think that's accurate. Yes. How long have you and your wife been together? It is our 14th year of marriage. 14th year, yeah. So I got her beat by about five, six years. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was a good five years. It was great. <laughs> it was great. I was a little disappointed when, when it ended, but um, I understand Ashley's great, so... Um, so yeah, I want to, I married up, you did marry up. That's, that's every man's goal. Every man. Yeah. Um, but I want to get to, uh, the specifics of, of, uh, where we're at in the world today with, with the coronavirus and, um, what, what you had to go through personally in your, in your uh, profession. And, and you've, you've just walked me through the NCAA D3 national track and field meet experience just a couple weeks ago and just uh what all transpired we can we'll talk about that as you go go ahead yeah well i tell you i remember about three weeks ago maybe a month now i was sitting in the office with coach raber and coach tolsey um uh some other people on staff and i was like man my worst nightmare is they're gonna is they're gonna cancel this this championships you know we had a young lady and a, a couple other people too that were rolling this year and i'm like it's my worst nightmare you know then fast forward um, to, to the, the week of the national meet, you know, it, it's as hectic as it always is after last chance meets and making flight hotel arrangements, et cetera. Uh, and then we get there a couple days early, um, for the coaches meeting, uh, they end up canceling the coaches meeting and the banquet, um, which, uh, one of my athletes, Evie Baltimore was, was, uh, named the, the uh, great lakes regional a track athlete of the year. So we were going to go accept that award. Uh, it was a big moment. And um, we had been to the track uh, on Wednesday and on Thursday for practice. Uh, we had another young lady, uh, Valerie O'Bear, who was in the weight. Um, and she wanted to practice in the ring, obviously. Uh, so we were there. We were mingling. We were immersed in other people from other areas of the country. So I'm, I'm sure if we were infected, it was already going to happen. Uh, we were already infected if we were. Right. Um, and I'll never forget, I was actually taking a nap on, on Thursday about 4.30, um, and my phone dings, and um, I get the email um, that they are going to uh, – well, that, 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 that they were going to cancel the championships, you know, and this was after they uh, eliminated fans. And uh, saw a great quote from somebody. I think, Brad, you might even sh- share, shared it with me, but how ha- not having fans in the stands at national championship meets, that track and field has been playing for this forever. <laughs> uh, which is totally true. Um, but I, I, I vividly remember waking up from that nap and having to walk down a couple doors down the hallway in the hotel and, and telling two women, one being 20 years old, one 21 years old, that 
all the work they put in was over. Um, it was a pretty sad moment. I'll never forget, I'll never forget the feel in the hotel. Uh, it was like, it was like our, our president was just assassinated. It was like I took Christmas away from a bunch of nine-year-old girls um, and boys. It was a weird moment. Um, it was very surreal. Uh, there were teams that were running in their uniforms, like on the side of the street, just to get laps in, I guess, in their uniform. I even saw some people from other universities. I want to clarify other universities that were, were, were consuming alcohol in the lobby because their season was over. They were seniors. Right. They were 23 years old and they were done. And uh, um, it was a weird thing, but I, I hope I never have to re relay that message again to athletes. Uh, it was definitely a hard moment. Right. How, how did your athletes, those two athletes react? Well, initially they were like, okay. Um, and I didn't really give them a chance to be emotional. I kind of just left <laughs> because I know I was going to get emotional. So uh, I'm sure there was a time for crying and some tears. Um, um, but like for Val, you know, her goal was to get there to nationals and she did. And so I don't, I don't know if she was all that upset. She was disappointed. I think, I think everybody was, but Evie, uh, her goal wasn't just to get there. It was to win. Um, and she was in a situation to win. Um, she was the top seed in the mile. Um, I think she was the best miler in the country, uh, for division three, um, in, in 2020, we'll never know. Um, but I really hope the NCAA does something. I uh, hope they award the top eight seeds, uh, either a mythical or just call it all American status. I think that'd be the right thing to do. Um, I know they awarded Evie and Val and every other athlete, uh, additional outdoor season. Um, but that doesn't get, that, that doesn't bring back the indoor season, uh, that right. one last meet. So. Is there, is there a discussion of them possibly doing that with the top eight? No, I think, I think that's just my world, my hopes. I've talked to some other coaches and, and they think it's a good idea, you know, and I guess the, the devil's advocate would be if, if my athlete was ninth, the ninth seed, you know, how would I react? I think on the outside looking in, uh, I would say I'd be okay with it. Uh, but I don't really know how I would feel if I had the ninth seed, uh, a, a kid who was rolling and the girl who was eighth seed or the guy who was eighth seed, you know, had that mark back in December, were they really going to get eighth? You know, I know there's all sorts of those, those arguments, but I feel like there needs to be some compensation made for those athletes. Um, and I'm, right. I'm, I don't know what they'll do. Probably nothing, but that'd be, that'd be my recommendation. Right. So, yeah, with Evie Boltemeyer's situation, she uh, last year indoors, she placed what? Uh, she finished fourth outdoors and in, in the mile. And then I'm sorry, indoors. And then outdoors, she was eighth in the 800 and the 1500. Uh, she right. wanted to double. Uh, and that's what she ended up last year. Right. So, like you said, she was a number one seed, had great experience there last year. So that's that's a very difficult thing to to have to tell a, a young person that, you know, a lot of people don't understand the the amount of work that she put in from from you know probably going all the way back to the summer and cross country season. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she finished eighth in cross. You know, and uh, there's not many kids that can say they're an all American in 800 and all the way up to the, up to the cross country distance of six K. So that is definitely um, a well-rounded athlete. Uh, she is, she is, she does all the small things so well. I mean, if I tell her to ice bath Monday, Wednesday and Friday at six Oh five to six twenty, she would do it. Um, you know, that, that specific, if I told her I wanted the temperature 30 degrees, she'd make sure it's 30 degrees. You know, she just does everything that I ask. Um, and, and I know there's, countless number of athletes across the country division one two three in the eye that do that uh but she does all the small things right and i just if she ever hears this i hope she 
um, knows how um, how proud I am of her of all the small things that she did to prepare herself and put herself in that situation. You know, we had practiced scenarios of a hot race. We practiced scenarios of, of a slow race. We practiced scenarios with a break in the middle. There wasn't a scenario we weren't ready for. And uh, I just, that's why I thought she had a, a great chance to win. Right. So, so what, what do you, what now, like for not just for her, but for, for all of your athletes, whether that's the, the mid distance kids or the long distance kids, like when you're, when your actual outdoor season and national outdoor championships were also canceled, this is unprecedented. This has never happened. Um, so you as a coach, you know, what, what do you do to keep these kids in shape, motivated, hungry, and, and, and do the best you can to get them ready for, for next year? What do you, what, what, what did you do? Well, I'm still doing it. I'm not quite sure. I, I joked with them that, you know, my 20 plus years of experience in track and field, none of that gives me any, um, any uh, advantage or any sort of insight or knowledge on this, the situation. Cause like you said, it's unprecedented. And I don't know, you know, we did some time trials on Friday of this week, uh, obviously on their own. Uh, they relayed the information back to me. Of course, they were all disappointed as we can all imagine the, the, the time trial on your own on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere in Indiana or Ohio or Michigan doesn't go well. And I understand that. Um, but that, and then at this point we're going to, Reevaluate. Uh, they follow their 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 monthly charts, monthly calendars, all the way through the end of uh, of March here. Um, and then basically, we we'll have a conversation: is is we can train for one or two more time trials, or we can make that transition now into cross country. Um, coach Raver, our head cross country coach, and I are really good friends. Uh, we 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 share the same office. Um, so at that point, all the middle distance kids, which is is my event group, they will transition into cross country. You know, I have a cross country background. I get it. Uh, at some point, our next goal, our next national championship is going to be cross country. So at, so at some point, we need to focus on that. Uh, but I also see lots of lots of value of improving your 1500 slash mile PR. Uh, that allows you to do your fartleks, do your tempos, your long runs at a different pace. You know, if a guy is a, a 415 miler this year and last year he was a 425 miler, you know, he can run his mileage, his regular runs at a faster pace now. So mm-hmm. when you don't have those track times to go off of, it can be kind of tricky on setting paces and goals, but I'm sure we'll manage. Right. So what, what has this whole experience taught you or continued to teach you? Like, what have you learned from it? <clears throat> well, it's, it's, I think me personally, it's what I've known. I've known all along that obviously it's bigger than, than sport. You know, that is my only job. I left public education after I was 18, 19, 20 years. I forget now. Um, and I made a choice just to make track and field my full-time job. And uh, I knew it was life's bigger than that. You know, my, my relationship with, with Jesus Christ is, is bigger than that. But um, to be honest, I, I don't truly know if I really believed that or knew that until this happened, that when it's all taken away, what else are you left with? You know, and I'm very fortunate, like I said earlier, that my wife and I actually, we have five kids. And uh, so I'm not bored. Uh, but now I just basically yeah, right. f- focus all my attention on recruiting, trying to build relationships with athletes who are going to be joining us next year. Um, they are also disappointed. You know, they don't get to have their senior season. Their senior, you know, walk down the, the, the track and give their mom a flower and their dad a handshake. You know, they, they don't get to do that. And um, that stuff's different. And I don't really have words for them except for, you know, those kids that are on the fence that they wanted to run next year or not, next year being in college, 
now my my comments are, hey, listen, you thought you were done, but now you're not. So are you sure you want to go to Purdue? <laughs> so right. you know, are you sure you want to come to try and do engineering here so you can compete again? Which is a common a battle we face a lot. We lose kids to Purdue a lot, great university. that They're not good enough to run for Purdue, but they want to go there and get the degree. So, so do, do you think that possibly this was this was God's uh, way of telling you personally to, to uh, cherish your time with your wife and your kids a little bit more than maybe you had been in, in the past? Oh, I, I think definitely. You know, it's it, like like any, any human person, I sin like everybody else. And uh, those sins could be as little as ignoring my – my five-year-old when she wants to uh, read me a story or if I want to give her a bath at night, you know, things like that. Like how dare you ignore Tilly? I know it's hard to believe, but I'm sure there's times I have, you know, I was just thinking yesterday, it's Saturday, uh, March 28th was yesterday. And I um, wasn't at a track meet, you know, and it was kind of depressing because my, my, uh, my phone dinged on Friday and said, you know, or Thursday leave for the Raleigh relays. And I wasn't leaving for the Raleigh relays. You know, and I and they dinged on Saturday. We're going to go to the Cedarville Invitational in Cedarville, Ohio, and we weren't going. So you know, allowed me time to uh, spend more time with my family and, and really, really, what you know, what's important. You know, and this morning watching right. our church service with my wife and our kids. Well, my wife and I were watching. The kids were kind of goofing off, but you know, and and Ashley made a comment about maybe this is time. This is God's way of saying, hey, you need to spend more time with me. You know, have a better relationship with me. Um, and he, of course he's right. He's the almighty. Um, but, um, that's something that definitely gets pushed to the back burner for me during March. It's my busiest month of the year normally. Uh, and, and this year, the second half of March has been pretty, um, pretty bland. No doubt. So yeah, talk about your background a little bit before you came to, to Trine University. Uh, so, uh, so I mentioned I was a public school teacher. Um, before I was at Trine, I was at uh, Penn Harris Madison School Corporation. I taught at Penn White, an alternative school there. And I was the head cross coach for one year and uh, head track for girls uh, for five years. Uh, when Tilly came around, our, our five-year-old, I, I knew I couldn't coach both sports anymore. I didn't want to be a horrible father. Um, I wanted to be, as a guy, I guess, an okay father. And uh, so I shut down across country, having coached since 2014. Um, but I was a track coach there. Um, and then prior to that, uh, the 14 or 15 years before that, I was at Northridge High School where I coached uh, boys cross country and girls track. You heard that correctly, boys cross country and girls track. There was another guy named Ryan McLean who's still there. He, he coached just the opposite of me. Um, and it's a, kind of a long story how that happened. But uh, uh, that was a good time for me there. You know, I coached a lot of kids and that was that's my, my alma mater. I went to Northridge, I graduated in 95. I left for a few years and and came back and started coaching before I even graduated So uh, from college. So it was uh, – Northridge has always been a special place in my heart, and as, as, as is Penn High School. Uh, working and coaching at Penn is an, was an honor and, and a privilege that I, I definitely hold, hold great to my heart. And, and yeah, you had great success at, at both Northridge and Penn. Northridge being uh, about what four thousand students less than Penn. <laughs> yeah, about yeah, uh, yeah. I would say about four thousand less. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you, and you had a state championship boys team in cross country in two thousand and four. Four. Correct? Yeah, two thousand four. Yeah, our our boys team. I'm going to try to use boys and girls now instead of men and women. But, yeah, we were fortunate enough to win uh, the state championship. Um, you know, it was kind of – it was a, a very magical year. You know, we didn't win a single invitational all year. We lost New Prairie on a tiebreaker. I mean, we lost some other races just by a few few points here or there. Um, and, uh, 
uh, we ended up, uh, you know, winning the state championship. And that was something that had never been done before for any boys sport at Everett Northridge. Our girls' softball team won the softball state championship in 1988. And I walked by that trophy a lot in high school and as a coach. I knew I wanted to add my own. So we kept grinding, kept working. You know, we had uh, all the 14 guys in the roster that year. I had to cut two for the sectional roster. That was tough. Um, but uh, it, it was a great year. You know, we got to go to Nike Nationals that year out in uh, Oregon. And that was a great experience. Um, I got to meet some great people, uh, network out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, in, our, in track, our women, uh, we held the state record for, in the 4x8 for 364 days. Um, and that was a great experience for us to win that state championship. Um, we had four girls locked in. Uh, so definitely um, great memories. That was 908, is that correct? Yeah, we ran 908. Um, and then we, so we held for 364. It was it went from a Friday or Saturday meet to a Friday meet, and then the team we broke it from broke it back. Chester did high school, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would say uh, that in 2004 when you won the state championship across country and you hadn't won any of those large invitationals all year long, that, oh, they just got lucky. They just had a good day, but mm-hmm. but uh, good coaches know that that's you know there's there's peaking at the right time and there's training through the season and things like that. Can you explain yeah a little bit your philosophy on that and how that happened? Yeah, well, so you wouldn't say it was luck. No, um, I, I knew we were one of the one of the two best teams. Um, I knew that from the whole year. Um, so basically, uh, Northridge uh, is in the Northern Lakes Conference. Um, at that time, we had to run every Tuesday. Uh, we had dual meets that counted half of our conference championship. And if you know me, uh, I love conference championships. They're super important to me. Uh, you don't have to perform just one day. you got to perform five days in the NLC. So you have four dual meets. On Tuesdays, it might be a tri-meet. And those are just random. You know, So you have to be ready to go on, a, on, a, on, a, on an away course where you, if you get lost and lose, you, you can lose the conference championship. So they're super important. You know, I would drive every Sunday. I drive those courses and make sure I walked them, make sure I had pictures and maps for the kids. Um, you know, so all those things to prepare us, you know, so, so after running on Tuesday, uh, you know, so Monday we did our long run, we raced Tuesday and on Thursday we did a workout again. And I know less than 48 hours we run on Saturday again. So we were obviously not recovered. Um, you know, and I yell at the kids, scream at the kids and I get on their case um, about, um, you know, competing, uh, race positioning, you know, there's no reason to not be somewhere at 2000 meters. If you can't do that, that's a, that, that's a mental error or you're just not being coachable. Um, so we, we talked about those things and we faded in the middle of some races and some instant races. And I knew it wasn't because we weren't trying. I knew it's because they were tired, you know, and I wouldn't design this model. It's just the model we were given. And then about the time of the conference championship, then that's when the dual meets are over. So then I go back to Monday long run, Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday workout and that's it. And then we just get ready for the Saturday tournament series. So it allowed us to freshen up, uh, build some more confidence. We did, we did some, some special things like all the guys would shave their legs and kind of some team bonding things, no sugar in the month of October, some, some quirky things. So uh, that, then the, but then that one race a week allowed us to really sharpen up and, and our team was good enough that I was able to sit a couple uh, freshman, sophomore out of the regional. Um, and then they didn't run the regional weekend and that allowed them to freshen up for the semi-state and for the state meet. So um, basically we just were able to rest more at the, at the, at the, in the postseason 
Um, and our kids believed everything I told them that uh, our best race was going to be in Terre Haute. And uh, in 2004, it was a new, it was the first year uh, the statement was ever there. Um, so it was new to everybody. Uh, and if, if anybody was there, remember how, how kind of warm it was, how wet it was, and those 60 mile an hour gusts of wind. Um, you know, it was the slowest winning times uh, up to ever win the state championship. And I understand that. Um, I take pride in that. I knew, I knew that when we didn't set up, um, when we didn't set up our team tent, we just stayed on our, our charter bus. I knew good things were going to happen because I knew that that, that meant that meant it was a pretty crappy day. Um, and uh, I knew our kids would battle through and they, they didn't really care about time. You know, they, they cared more about place so that they'd listen to me on the positioning stuff early they raced in the middle and they were able to finish at the end because we weren't, we weren't racing twice a week. Right. Did they, uh, did, did your kids have any complaints or negative comments prior to the race about the weather? Nope. Well, I think one kid might have, then I kind of chewed him out so much that they, nobody else was, I was scared to scared to say anything, you know, cause you know, cause I was, uh, was in my 12, I was 28, I think when that happened. Um, so I, I was the, you know, the school record holder still at the time. And, um, you know, I had been the, the, the face, I guess, of individually Northridge cross country. And so whatever I said, it was going to be, it was going to be the word, so to speak. And uh, I just made sure that they knew that every time you, you verbalize a, a complaint or an excuse, it makes it easier to say another one. And uh, I fully believe, I fully believe that. And, um, you know, they, I'm sure they were thinking them all day long. I, I can't, I can't stop what they think. I can only stop what they verbalize. And uh, I, I think the fact that they didn't say anything and, uh, and they did, and honestly, they, they believed in me. So all those things, and they were talented too. They were definitely good. So they, so they were the the champions, and a, a school of about a thousand. In second place was Carmel, a school of about that's correct. 1, 000, is that correct. Yep, yep. It was. Um, so that's that's pretty. That's a pretty amazing feat that a lot of people would say is is not. Yeah, possible. yeah. That was. Well, uh, I think when I was at Northridge, I only beat Carmel like three times ever, <laughs> like once at the. Mm-hmm. I think twice at the Manchester semi or the Manchester Invitational, and once at the state meeting in '04. Um, yeah, you, you know, whenever you get a chance mm-hmm. to beat Carmel, you take it. And I, I think Coach Kaplan would see that as a compliment. At least I, I would if I was in his shoes. Um, so it wasn't that we wished nil on them. We just knew that they were the team we had to beat, um, and uh, we we beat them every spot. One, one, two, two, three, three, all the way down the line. So. I knew at that point right. we won. I didn't know what the point total was. I didn't know a lot, like who was all state, et cetera. But I knew when our one beat their one, two beat their two, and I knew we obviously won. So that was a great moment. And uh, like, other, I don't know how the coaches feel, but I'm always the one I want to keep it a secret. I don't like technology and how you know right away who wins. Mm-hmm. This was back in 04 when smartphones were kind of new, and I didn't have one, of course. Um, but it, uh, it was a secret. And our guys, I, I knew, and my assistant coach, Nate Jones, who was a big part of our success, um, we knew, but I didn't want to take that from them, you know, that whole sixth place, fifth place, et cetera. I didn't want to take that from them. So it was, they, they were truly surprised. Yeah, it was cool. That's awesome. So, so and you, you talked about personally that uh, you had been the, the fastest runner in Northridge history. That was um your senior year back in was that 90 94 i'm sorry yeah yeah it was 94 yeah. you were you were forced to state me yeah i was year, right? yep i um yeah i lost to three guys that went to olympic trials or ran the olympics so yeah it was <laughs> and i was far from that afterwards but um no it was uh 
it was a great day. You know, I get a, like like my guys and my even my team in 2007, which is better than my team in 2004. I don't want to get into that necessarily if you, unless you want to, but uh, I was locked in. You know, I believe what my coach said. If he had told me to to eat three ounces of pasta every day at 2 a.m., I'd have done it. Like it wouldn't have mattered. I'd have done everything he asked. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had um, we had six guys that were locked in. And we had six guys back then under under 17, which was a big feat back in the 90s. Uh, on courses when they were 5,000 meters, but I, I won't get into that. But um, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so we had six guys that broke, that broke 17 and, and myself, I finished fourth. And so I, was, I had a pretty low number. Um, so we were able to, we were, we were able to finish fourth as a team that year uh, for our school back then. We were like 800 kids back in the nineties. And then we were yeah. like, we thought it was, this is, you know, pre-internet, as you know, and this was just, you know, you'd read the the Hoosier Harrier mythical top 25s, and there was never anybody from Indiana except Karma that was ranked. And uh, and to be able to beat them that day as an athlete, and uh, to be able to be fourth as a team, that was very very special. Wow. So, and then going back to uh, when you went to college, you went to Miami, Ohio, on a, on a running. <coughs> I did. Um, and then you left soon after like can you explain that whole process and how even though you gave up running you still went back yeah. to running in a different fashion as, as a coach so obviously the passion was there I yeah oh yeah that. so uh coach warren mandrell which i honestly don't, don't i don't even know if he's still with us um i know he i i don't have lost track with him it was you know getting some pre-internet pre i remember i got an email at miami of ohio i'm like well, what's an email why, why do i need an email um so <laughs> that's how long ago it was yeah, I never thought that. I never thought the email was gonna was gonna fly. I, was well, like, I thought, I, I thought no way be free. I, I <laughs> it still is. So I was totally wrong. Yeah. So, uh, so I got to Miami, you know, on a pretty substantial scholarship, uh, and I was very blessed to do that. And honestly, from day one, running couldn't have been more horrible for me when I was there. Um, it had nothing to do with the university, nothing to do with Coach Coach Mandrell or the other athletes. Just me personally, uh, I had gained some weight. I'd always been a kind of a bigger runner. Um, one of my claim to fames and, you know, I weighed 165 pounds when I finished fourth and I don't believe anyone's ever weighed more than that. And has finished higher than that in the Indiana state meet. Um, I hope I, I could be wrong, <laughs> but uh, so when I got to college, still not that big though. Well, I, 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 I like to think it was, but you know, I, I get you, you and I, you and I, oh, I would love it right now <laughs> when I'm, when I'm 210. Yes. So, so <laughs> excuse me. So I got to Miami. Things just went downhill. I got injured. I got a tibia stress fracture. Again, this is nothing with the university or the coaches or the athletes or my teammates. It was simply – it was not a great time for me. And I honestly think God was working the whole time. You know, I, I remember I, I didn't want to go back at Christmas. My dad had a very colorful conversation with me. Um, the first time I, I ever, ever, ever heard him use a swear word. And so I went back, um, you know, obviously. went and listened to him. Um, and then after that, I transferred to uh, Goshen College. Um, to where I ran cross country and then I played baseball at Goshen College. Um, so I was there for three years. Um, and, uh, you know, baseball was always a big passion of mine. I, I, I didn't play in, in high school because I couldn't give up track. You know, I played summer ball, little league travel, things like that. And I love baseball. You know, I could, I could swing from both sides of the plate, I played first base. You know, um, so I wasn't super speedster. Uh, lots of DH stuff, uh, but playing baseball at Goshen College, Coach Hoffman and Coach Bacon gave me a, an opportunity. I just obviously just walked on. I tried out. Literally, I had to just try out. You know, I, I, I hit a couple of di- couple of dingers uh, in some in some in some batting practice, and they gave me a chance. It was a great experience for me. Um, and I, I, I'll never forget. It was '98, 
um, I was a junior and I had, it was during baseball season. I had to decide if a Fairfield middle school or Fairfield junior high offered me a coaching job for track. And so I decided to stop playing baseball. You could use the, the quit word or what, but I talked to coach Hoffman and coach Bacon. I said, I think I'm going to shut it down. You know, and as a, as a father, I, I hate, I don't want my kids to be quitters, but in this circumstance, quitting baseball was probably the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Cause obviously I wouldn't be in Angola right now, if it wouldn't have happened. So I, I started coaching in middle school and then my high school Northridge needed a coach. So I started coaching there in 99 and I was available. If I'd have been in Miami or playing baseball, still, I wouldn't have been available and my life probably wouldn't be where it is today. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how that played out. Wow. Yeah. That's a great yeah. story. It's a lot of emotions. Trust me. There's lots of, uh, lots of tears and lots of, um, yeah, but that, that, that's how it all played out. So, um, I'm very passionate about, um, about the fact that it doesn't matter what size you are yep. as a runner when, when people, whether it's females, more so females, the people will, will say like, Oh, she got bigger from freshman <coughs> years. She can't be as fast, but it also can happen with males like, like yourself. But, Obviously, I don't. I have no idea. Like, if anybody ever said to you, like, you don't look like a runner, or you're too big <laughs> to be a runner, um, but just explain, talk a little bit about that, about how it's 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 not about the size as much as <clears throat> everything else. Goes well, I mean, I'll never forget. It was it would have been 1990 or 91. It been not spring of 91. Uh, I was a middle schooler, and I had ran 215 and 457 uh, for the 1600. Two fifty yep. and four fifty seven for the sixteen hundred. I broke I broke five a few other gotcha. times. And Ken Willems, who's still a good friend of mine today, um, we have some uh, some beers together, and he's just a great mentor. Um, him and Mark Gruel both. But he was a middle school teacher, so I saw him all the time. He was also the high school cross country coach. And after the season, I remember him telling me, you know, I might have been not. I'm getting old. It might have been after sixth grade year, so it might have been like the. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but sometime in middle school, he came to me and said, Hey, Josh, you know, I, I totally get it. If you want to play football next year, you know, cause he goes how big I was. And I think it was, I was like 145 wow. in eighth grade. And I was, you know, I was a pretty big kid for, for a, a middle of nowhere, Indiana high school. That's a big, that's a big kid. Um, so I was like, coach, no, I, I, I want to run. I love running, you know, and I, I only, um, so I guess that size thing kind of always stuck with me. You know, I only chose running over football because it started one day prior to, to, to football practice in sixth grade. I couldn't wait to do a sport because back then there weren't sports and, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you, you know, you couldn't do stuff early on. And uh, so cross country started like on a Thursday or something before football on a Friday. So I, I ran cross country. I, so I just got to do something. Um, so, yeah, so size has always been, it's always been a big thing for me. Um, I definitely take it to heart. Um, I, I, I think there's definitely a, there's a size, maybe that a generic size, but I think there's always, always exceptions to the rules. Um, men or women, boys or girls. Um, so it's kind of a personal passion of mine or personal, I don't use word, I, I don't want to use the word vendetta, but it's been a goal of mine to, to, to let, let athletes know again, boys or girls, men or women, that doesn't matter what you look like. You know, if you work hard enough, uh, this sport like swimming, which I did a lot of growing up, I swam, um, on swim teams in high school in the summer club teams. And, um, uh, it doesn't matter what you look like. Uh, it's matter how much work you put in, the kind of dedication, the sacrifice you want to make. Um, again, you know, um, so it, it's, it's a direct correlation. 
So I've always respected the sport like that. And I still run today at 210 pounds. Sometimes it doesn't look pretty a lot like today, but uh, I, I still enjoy it. And I still, um, uh, it's a big, big, a big part of my life. Right. Well, and obviously the size of your heart would, would be uh, more important in a lot of ways. What, um, what about, uh, there's a quote you used to use, I know about hard work and talent, yeah. right? Um, well, one of my favorite ones, tradition doesn't graduate, but that, that that's kind of not relevant for this conversation. Yeah, but like, great you know, hard work over time can, can you know, yeah, I, I shouldn't say it can beat talent. It has the possibility to beat talent, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, if if you're not true to yourself, talent will win. You know, if you're honestly, if you're not doing all the small things, if you're not, <clears throat> um, you know, eating and drinking and sleeping like a runner, um, talent is going to beat you. You know, and I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, you know, that every kid that comes to Trinity University, I can get you to the Olympics. Um, but I, I will tell you that I will make you faster. Um, and I guess that's the kind of the mindset we have at, at Trinity University with our cross country and track teams is that, you know, you come here, you will get faster. Uh, to what level is, is kind of, kind of, is kind of de- almost determined by the athlete. Well, I know, I know in one, in one situation, you have a young lady that was like a 550 miler uh, in high school just last year who's now running. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Amira. Um, yeah, she was a 550, uh, 1600 runner in high school from Ohio. Uh, parents were military, so she moved around a lot. So I don't know if she had consistent training or what, uh, but came to trying because of triathlons, really. Uh, yeah, and she ran 517 for the full mile this year, which is like a 515, 1600 um, after just, you know, just a year later from high school. Um, and honestly, in, in the reason she had that success was because she didn't overthink it. Uh, and she was, she was coachable. One of my favorite sayings is, is just be a sponge, you know, kind of absorb what I had to offer. Um, you know, if you put up blockers or doubt or pity or excuses, then obviously we're not going to be that full sponge. You know, she, she, she put herself in situations, uh, right when kids finish, I make sure I give them one positive and one thing they need to work on. Uh, and every time she listened, the next time she raced, she continued to do the good positives and she fixed the negative. And I really could ask much more than that. And that's one thing that Evie does well too. Evie is an exceptional listener uh, and follows things to a T. Uh, and I don't give Evie more attention than I do Amira. It's just simply, they both are sponges and they absorb everything I have to say. And I'm very grateful for that. Great. And how much of uh, you've mentioned your wife a couple of times, how much of an impact has she been on your on your life and more importantly, your faith life. Well, she's awesome because I convinced her to leave uh, her family and my family in Elkhart slash Middlebury and moved to Angola where, where we knew uh, hardly anybody. So that's awesome. Um, oh yeah, you too. Of course. I said hardly. Um, and then obviously with me, like I, I kind of grew up in the church a little bit. Um, we, you know, we had, we went to church on Sundays occasionally uh, to a church in Bristol uh, which ironically we ended up going to as a family, became members. And that's where we were before we left. Now we're members of Fairview Missionary Church here in Angola. Um, but really, I mean, when I asked her dad, Brian, to, to her hand in marriage, uh, he said, I need two things. I want you to keep her safe. And I want you to go, I want you to, to have your marriage and be centered around God. And I was like, well, seems pretty easy, right? Yeah, I can do that. You know, so I remember, like dating her, like she, she asked me to go to church. I never wanted to go to church ever. It was always like a, a, a chore. 
it was like, oh, wow, it's my one day to rest, you know, and I finally wanted to go. And then it kind of just evolved. And then I think in 2016, I was baptized publicly to express my my love and my admiration and my um, commitment to, to Jesus Christ. And uh, ever since then, it's been it's been um, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made is being baptized, you know, versus obviously marrying my wife. But um, it's definitely helped me. And, you know, I could share many, many stories about, you know, tithing. And I don't think it's a salvation issue, uh, but I definitely think some, I see value in tithing and how God can do wonders with our earthly money more ways than we ever could. So, Right. Yeah. That's a great testimony. My my uh, my last question is: This is fart licks and guitar licks, which I know you know what a fart lick is. Do you know what a guitar lick is? It, I I just thought it was a funny word for a guitar, so no. Uh, you know that's that means you you get after <laughs> on the guitar a little bit, you know, like you know John Mayer and so forth. But uh, so little music questions: What are, are there some? Is there some music you listen to, or some some songs you listen to that have helped you through tough times, especially where we're at right now in this? And this, I will say, just you know, like Jeremy Camp, that movie, I still believe is, I saw that recently, and that was pretty powerful. But anything, yeah, on, definitely. Anything on your mind? Um, so I actually did some kind of some searching. You know, I kind of had a quite a uh, um, a musical journey throughout my life. Um, but recently, uh, our children are friends with because uh, their kids are the same age of ours. Is uh, a boy, a, a band called Attaboy, uh, and, and uh, Jeff uh, Edgel is their uh, bass guitarist, um, and he's, he lives here in Angola. Uh, become a good friend of mine. Um, he uh, so he, I have a couple of their CDs. So we listen upstairs in our in our house. We have four bedrooms upstairs, and we listen to their songs as we go to bed. So I become definitely a fan of those songs. Um, nice. And then that kind of their 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 mission to reach kids of the middle school age um, when they're very very um, 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 uh, just very fragile and very um, uh, influential. Uh, so, but basically some other, you know, I'm a big fan of, um, Lauren Daigle. Um, I think, uh, uh, Toby mm-hmm. Mac, pretty much any, anything contemporary Christian has been kind of, kind of moves me. I would say I, I run with music, but I'm kind of old school. I like to hear me breathe. I like just to think I like to hear the leaves blow across the street. I'm not a music person when I run. That's just kind of me. Mm-hmm. I know nowadays, I think it must be like 40 or younger. They love music when they run. That's just not me. Um, that, that's just not me. Uh, right. And then kind of going backwards in college, you know, I was a big, you know, Matchbox 20 was huge, you know, 3 a.m. Uh, songs mm-hmm. like that. Um, Soul Asylum, uh, Runaway Train, you know, back when, you know, that song is, mm-hmm. is about um, sex trafficking, you know, basically sex trafficking, trafficking and women and prostitution. And, and back when I liked the song, I never even knew that. Uh, but now that I've become, I guess, um, more concerned about the, the country we live in, uh, that song has even more meaning to me. Um, that's a horrible thing. Um, but basically, then through high school, I was kind of into the, the, the metal bands, um, you know, like uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, Paradise City, Mr. Brownstone, etc. Ozzy Osbourne, Warrant, Motley Crue, kind of bands like that. I know it's way different than what I listen to now. But I said I wasn't, I wasn't a believer back then. Yeah. So you got to give me – Give me that. And then and through high school when I was, you know, had some weird relationships, I guess. I don't think they're not, they're only weird because I made them weird. Um, I listened to a lot of Chicago, um, the band. Um, if you leave me now, yes. um, hard to say goodbye, things like that. Or hard, 
I did. I, I said it was all because of me. I was definitely the idiot yeah. in the situation. <laughs> it was it was not the young ladies at the yeah. time. And I, if I could talk to him now, I'd probably say I'm I'm really sorry for being so stupid. But um, yeah, or oh, I gotta go. That's no, that's a whole other story from another time. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I it might have been. It might have been. But that's kind of been my my <laughs> like. Um, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, so I wasn't again. I don't roll with music. But I definitely listen to it. Um, I know at, at track practice, that's a, it's a constant struggle because we have obviously the Trinity University is not a religious affiliation of any of any any means. Uh, our school is not, uh, so we'll have some really aggressive uh, rap music. I guess you call. It. I, I really don't. I really don't know what you call. It. I can't understand it. Uh, and then I'll put on my contemporary Christian songs, and and I'll get half good looks, half bad looks. But it's okay. I'm the head coach, so. Uh, but uh, that's right. Um, yeah, but it de- definitely, uh, uh, and obviously, I, I mean, you know, Gavin DeGraw is a friend of yours, and I've met him a few times. Um, his songs are great, um, and uh, I definitely I like that kind of stuff. Uh, but definitely, contemporary Christians where I'm at. Is it true that the the great Gavin DeGraw? He did on my uh, my 43rd birthday this last August. We're here when we were living in Angola, yeah, we were um, at Pokhagan State Park most of the day kayaking and. And on the, you know, just kind of, uh, yeah, I didn't go to the sandbar, but I was kind of, you know, kayaking and stuff and playing with the kids in the sand. And later that night, he did call me. Yes. Very thankful. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, well, this has been a great conversation, Joshua. I really No problem. I, I, I see my, I just noticed there's a timer on my phone. It's been 42 minutes and eight seconds. We did good. I thought 30 minutes was going to be tough, but yeah, well, carried I, I, I like to talk. So, um, so I like it. Episode one of Fart Licks and Guitar Licks. Coach Josh Fletcher, Trine University. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Later. Man. You take care. All right, man.